was a blessing, wasn't it? Thank you all so much. Maybe I missed the will of God tonight because it seemed like every song has been about storms and stuff of that nature, and I ain't got one thing about a storm. Maybe I'll preach up a storm or something, but uh, I appreciate all the good music, good singing that we've had here in our service this evening. How many of you brought your Bible? Will you hold up the Bible for just a moment? And then if you will, join me on page number 326, or if you don't have an old Schofield Bible, the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 8. And we're going to look, there's 22 verses here, don't let this scare you, but we're going to kind of just move quickly through the chapter tonight. And this is a, a very pivotal chapter in the history of the nation of Israel, and I'll explain all of that in just a moment. 1 Samuel chapter number 8, 326 in the Old Schofield Bible. Can I mention this about Sunday? Hope you'll pray much, and then uh, please invite people. Uh, you know, you, it, today in this day of technology, an invite to church is just as simple as sending a text to somebody, and uh, you can send a text. I know I do that on Saturday nights. I've got a list of about 11 or 12 people that I text and say, hey, please be at church tomorrow, but if you can't come, join us, watch on the way, whatever. But that's how simple it is to invite people to church in these days, and of course, nothing ever take the place of an in-person visit, and I get all that, but uh, until we can really do that again fervently, uh, maybe you could drop text or whatever and invite people to be a part of our services here this coming. Lord's Day. I think a lot of you know that I still, I love to listen to old preaching. And uh, this week I was listening to a message that a man preached back in 1983. And it's on one of those little cassette tapes. And uh, my, my daddy's truck still has one of those little cassette players that I can listen to that old preaching on. And it's very scratchy. But when he started off the sermon, he told this joke. And if it's no good, see, I'm blaming it on him. I'm not taking credit myself. But he started off his sermon by saying this. He said he heard about this Baptist preacher that was driving down the road. He was going too fast, and he got pulled over by a police officer. And the police officer went up there and said, Sir, why are you driving so fast? He said, Officer, I am a Baptist preacher. He said, Well, you might be a Baptist preacher, but you sure are driving awful fast. Let me see your license. So he took his license, and he handed it back. said, How about slowing down, Baptist preacher? And he handed him his license back. He looked over in the seat, and beside of that Baptist preacher, there's a bottle sitting there. And he said, by the way, what's in that bottle? He said, sir, the preacher said, it's water. He said, it don't look like water to me. Hand me that bottle. And he got the bottle, screwed the top off, took a big whiff of it. He said, that ain't water, that's wine. And the preacher said, praise God, he's done it again. <laughs> See, that's a 1983 joke there. That's not a 2020 joke. But anyway, see, I think my jokes get better laughs than those. I'm kidding. Let's read tonight, 1 Samuel chapter 8. Let me read the first six verses of this chapter, and this kind of introduces what this chapter is about. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass, when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways. They walked not in the ways of Samuel, their dad. But they turned aside after filthy lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations." But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. 
Let's pray. Father, bless your word tonight, I pray. And Lord, as we move through the history of all this, I sure pray there'd be some lessons for us as we live out these days found in this text tonight. Please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Recently in our Wednesday evening services, we've been making our way through the life of one of Israel's greatest leaders, a man by the name of Samuel. Samuel, out of all the people who ever led the nation of Israel, has to rank up at the very top of the greatest, most godliest leaders in the history of the nation of Israel. Samuel was a judge. And the judges, as I've told you, kind of filled in the gap, filled in the void between the great leaders of Israel like Moses and Joshua up until the time that Israel got their kings. There was a 350-year period uh, between Moses and Joshua up until Israel got its first king. During that 300-year period, 350-year period, God, Israel, was not without its leaders. But they weren't called kings. They were called judges. There are 15 of these judges that are mentioned back in the book of Judges in the opening chapters of the book of 1 Samuel. And out of these 15 judges, without doubt, Samuel was head and shoulders above all the others. Samuel was a prophet. Samuel was a priest. Samuel was a judge. And then last week, we saw that Samuel was also a great military leader as well. In chapter 7, last time, Samuel has led the nation of Israel into a battle with their, their, their old nemesis, the uh, nation of the Philistines. Previously, under the leadership of Eli, <clears throat> the nation of Israel has been soundly defeated by these Philistines. And for over 20 years, pretty much, the nation of Israel has lived in bondage and in fear of the Philistines. Because of their sin and because of their disobedience to God, <clears throat> four things has now happened to the nation of Israel. They have been separated from their father. They've been surrounded by their foes. They've been saddened. Have I got some water? I am so sorry. I'm not, I'll put my mask on. I don't have COVID. I don't think. I am so sorry. I knew this was going to happen. Can I take this off too? Brother Mark, you want to preach this outline up here tonight? Do you mind? I am so sorry. I had a cold last week and it just, uh, and, and I got to quit smoking because it compounds things. I am so sorry. Where was we at? Yeah, okay, tithing. Let's get back on that subject real quick. So they've been separated from their father. They've been surrounded by their foes. They have been shackled by their fears, and they've been saddened by their failures. Well, when the nation of Israel, in that sad spiritual condition, finally had enough of that, they moved back toward God. And when they moved back toward God, God moved toward them. You know, when we slip our New Testament glasses on, we are reminded of this verse right here. The Bible says, draw nigh to God, and God will draw nigh unto you. The nation had moved back in the direction of God, and God was now moving back in the direction of the nation of Israel. But right after that happened, <coughs> back in chapter number 7, right after that happened, uh, when the nation of Israel repented and were getting right with God, the Philistines mustered their armies and gathered together to make war with the nation of Israel. Don't ever think, don't ever think that you and I can take a step toward God without facing opposition from 
our adversary. Israel wanted God back. And the first thing that happened was the Philistines maneuvered their army into a position to attack them. But when Israel got right with God and put away their false gods, this time, instead of God fighting against them, God fought for them. You know, anytime you and I get right with God and position ourselves near the Lord, God doesn't fight against us. God fights for us. You say amen while I take a drink of water. (coughs) Thank you. I knew this was going to happen. Uh, Here we go. That's what happened. That's what happened. God had started fighting for his people again. You may remember back in chapter 7, God simply thundered. And the thunder was so loud that it not only shook the earth, it greatly disoriented the Philistines. They become so confused that when Israel went out to battle with them, it was an easy victory and a a great victory for the nation. In fact, back in chapter number 7, to commemorate what God had done for the nation, Samuel set up a big old stone and he called it Ebenezer, which simply means hitherto hath the Lord helped us. I mean, they went from an Ichabod, the glory has departed, to an Ebenezer, the Lord sure has helped us. You know, our nation today needs to change churches. For too long, our nation has been going to Ichabod Baptist Church. Our nation needs to join up tonight at at old Ebenezer Baptist Church because we, once again, need the help of God in our land once again. Then as we leave chapter number 7, everything is fine. Samuel is at the helm. The nation is victorious, and the ark is back again in the land of Israel. But then we turn the page and come to chapter number 8. And in chapter number 8, we find a turning point in the history of the nation of Israel because this is the chapter where Israel desires to have a king to reign over them. So if you'll join me in this text now, you say, Preacher, what's all this got to do with us? Stay with me. Maybe there'll be some things along f- uh, uh, for us along the way. The first thing I want to point out in this chapter, number one, is a problem, a problem that is repeated. A problem that's repeated. Now, when I say that, if you look at verse 1, verse 2, and verse number 3, we're told that Samuel was getting older, he, because of his age, he has appointed his sons to become judges in the land of Israel to help him in the ministry. But those boys of his aren't the same caliber or of the same character that their daddy is. Now, let's stop. Let's take a time out. Boy, don't, we, don't that sound a little bit familiar to us? I mean, remember what happened back in 1 Samuel chapter 2 when a man by the name of Eli was a judge in the land of Israel and then those boys of his, Hophni and Phinehas, those were bo- to say they were bad boys would be a great understatement. Those boys, I mean, they were abusing their authority. They were a threatening people. They were laying with women that, that, who assembled at the door of the house of God. 
<coughs> I mean it was a bad situation because a preacher's kids had gone bad. And we know that God even stepped in and judged the whole household of Eli. In chapter number 4 of 1 Samuel, remember the story? Eli, Ahaphni, and Phinehas are all killed in a battle with the Philistines. Now we come just a few chapters over and we find here's another man that's having problem with his children as well. Samuel, according to verse 1, is getting older. Now, wait a minute. Samuel's not at the point that he's ready to, to retire yet from being a judge. you got to remember that Samuel is pretty much going to reign or going to be on the earth almost to the very end of Saul. Samuel doesn't die until Saul is getting ready to die, and Saul doesn't die. He reigns over the nation of Israel for a period of 40 years. So the people come to him and say, Man, our preacher's getting old. We need a new preacher. In essence, is what they're saying. And Samuel, according to this in verse number 2, because he was getting older, he needed some help. How many of you know, the older you get, the more help you need. Can I have an amen? <clears throat> and the Bible said that old Samuel, in his older years, the old gray mare ain't what she used to be, but at least she was still kicking. And the Bible said that he appointed his boys to help him in the ministry of being a judge and a leader over the nation of Israel. But then when we come to verse number 3, we find that his boys was kind of like the boys of Eli. Maybe not as bad, but they were still uh, heading in the wrong direction. Boy, you got to be careful. you got to be careful. And there's two scenarios here. we got an Eli scenario with his bad boys, and now we've got a Samuel scenario with his bad boys. Now, let's just be honest. We kind of lay some of the blame for Eli's boys at the feet of Eli because Eli was an enabler. He wouldn't confront them boys about what they were doing, how they were acting, or how they were living. And so let's just face it, some of the blame for the direction those boys went in could be laid at their daddy's feet. But I think when it comes to Samuel, we got an entirely different scenario here because we don't find that Samuel is doing anything wrong. He's probably no doubt raised Joel and Abiah to do that which is right in the sight of the Lord, and yet we find in this text his boys too, just like Eli's boys, have gone bad. I think we're all reminded of this great truth. When it comes to God, he has no grandchildren. No grandchildren whatsoever. Salvation is not something that's passed on from one generation to the next generation. Nobody can ride their mama's or their daddy's coattails into, into heaven. Salvation is something that a person must personally receive for themselves. And here's Samuel, and, and by the way, he probably had a great desire for these boys to live for God, to be the right kind of judges. But let's just face it, our children, once they get out a, a certain age, They've got to make choices for their own life. No matter how much you and I plead with them and pray for them and beg them and bring them up to do that which is right, let's just be honest, let's face it tonight, our kids have got to make choices how they're going to live when they get older. And sometimes we can lay the fault at the feet of a parent who just enabled their kids by letting them do whatever like Eli but let's just face it, there's sometimes like Samuel, you can do your best. You can live for God in front of them. You can plead and beg and cry and, and beseech them to do what's right, and yet they still grow up to do that which is wrong in the sight of God. 
I just want to encourage you tonight, if you've got some babies that have gone bad and you've done your best, don't, 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 don't take a, a, a trip down guilt road. I mean, if you've done your best, you pleaded, you cried, you begged, you prayed, if you've done all that, set the right kind of example before, you can do no more. People have got to make choices for their lives. Can I have an amen? That's true of my kids. That's true of your kids. That's true of Samuel's kids. And that's true of Eli's kids. So don't let the devil beat you up if your kids go bad if you did your best to bring them up right. Amen. A problem is repeated. I want to say one more time, no matter how much, how much, you, how bad, or maybe I should say how good we want our children to turn out right, they've still got to make their own choices. And sometimes, let's face it, children sure do make bad choices, don't they? So we find as this chapter opens, a problem is repeated. His boys are not of the same character or the same caliber that Samuel is. Why, verse number 3 says they're, 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 they've turned aside after lucre, money. They're taking bribes. They're perverting judgment. In other words, these boys, they're in the ministry for just what they can get out of the ministry. I mean, to these boys, it's all about a paycheck. It's all about just money. And so they're taking bribes. They're after lucre. And the Bible said they're perverting judgment. One of the things that judges did was they passed judgment upon people in the nation. So here these boys have, just like Eli's boys, they have gone bad. So a problem is repeated. But number two, look again now, beginning in verse number five. Not only is a problem repeated, but number two, a king is requested. A king is requested. Look at verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel under Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old. You, you got to hurt his feelings. You're an old man. You're too old to do this anymore. Samuel, you're old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us. So now they are requesting a king. Now, i got to tell you this. I believe with all of my heart that it was God's intentions to eventually give the nation of Israel a king. You know, as far back as the book of Judges, uh, I'm sorry, the book of Genesis, God had already begun to talk about the kings of the nation of Israel. So evidently, I think what we gather from that is, you know, God was going to eventually... God was going to eventually put a king over the nation of Israel. Way back in the book of Genesis, we read verses just like this right here. Genesis, boom. And I will make thee, God speaking of Abraham, to Abraham, I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and notice this, and kings shall come out of thee. Sounds like to me God's indicating one of these days this nation's going to have some kings. Again, in Genesis chapter 35, God said this unto Jacob, I am almighty God. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee and kings. There it is again. Shall come out of thy loins. So God is indicating there's going to come a day when this nation is going to get a king. In fact, way back, once again in the book of Deuteronomy, God had already begin to lay down some laws regarding the, the selection of a king. Look at this. Deuteronomy 17, 4. Thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee and shall possess it, shall dwell therein, and shalt say, I'll set a king over me 
like as all the nations that are about me. Ba-boom. Is that it? That's it. Well, I think God's telling us so. <laughs> I think the Lord is telling us there, hold on now. I'm going to give you, I am going to give you a king. So we find that it was God's ultimate intentions for Israel to have a king. However, the problem that we run into in 1 Samuel chapter number 8 is this. The timing's wrong. It's not at all God's plan at this point in the, in the history of the nation of Israel. God's plan is for David to be the first king of the nation of Israel and not Saul. But when the nation of Israel jumped ahead of God, they got a Saul instead of a David. Let me say it like this. They got a people's choice instead of a proper choice. You know, there's two dangers that you and I face as we try to follow God. The first danger that we face as we follow God is to lag way behind God. Boy, many people are, are dragging, lagging way behind as they try to follow God. They say, oh, God, I'm behind you. They just, don't, they just don't say, oh, I'm 500 miles behind you. And many people, when it comes to following God, they lag way behind. But then some people, let's face it, as they follow God, they jump way ahead of God. And in our text, what has happened here in this particular text is the nation is getting ahead of the plan and the program and the purpose of God. Boy, I want to tell you, wise indeed is the person who can just walk with God hand in hand. The Bible said, how can two walk together except they be agreed? Don't lag behind, don't get ahead. Wait on the Lord, the Bible reminds us. Well, they're jumping ahead of God. And I think if you look there at verse number 5, here's the real reason they wanted a king. I didn't read this. Let me finish the verse now. Behold, thou art old, Samuel. Your sons are not at all like you. Now make us a king to judge us. And here's the real reason. Like all the nations. You see, the sad thing with the nation of Israel is they started looking around and they started desiring to be like all the other nations that were around them. Now, i got to tell you this. It was God's intentions never for his nation, the nation of Israel, to be like all the other nations around them. God never wanted Israel to fall under the influence of the nations that were around them. God's intentions was for the nation of Israel to influence the nations that were around them. But here they are now, and they're being influenced by the people that are around them. And God never intended for his people to be like the people of the world, whether that's Old Testament, whether that's New Testament, or whether that's the 21st century, friend. God never intended for us, his people, to be like the world. God's always intended for us to be different from the world and to influence the world for him instead of the world influencing us for bad. Let me prove it to you. Way back in the book of Leviticus, chapter 20, verse 26, God said this to his nation, And ye shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have severed you from other people that ye should be mine. In fact, God wanted his people to be so different that he even gave his people a different menu. 
that he gave the rest of the nation of Israel. I mean, Israel had Leviticus 11 and 12. There were certain things they could eat, certain things they couldn't eat. You know why? God was making a distinction between his people and the rest of the world. God's intentions was for his people to be a light in the darkness of the nations that surrounded them. Let me prove it to you. In Acts chapter 13, verse 47, For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee, speaking of the nation of Israel, to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be uh, for salvation unto the ends of the earth. God said, I want my people to be a light to the darkness uh, of the, uh, the people who dwell in the darkness around them, and the end result is I want those people to be brought into my salvation. Can I say that God hadn't changed his mind all these years later? I know we live in the 21st century. I'm not of the household of Israel, but I am of the household of faith, and just be, being a part of God's family, God expects me to be different than the people that are not a part of God's family. There ought to be a distinction. There ought to be a difference. And ladies and gentlemen, many times what we're trying to do in our days, we're trying to tear down those walls of distinction, those walls of differences, and we're trying to be like the world around us. Something that God never intended for us to do. Amen. Let me tell you this. What a great quote. quote. It goes like this. The church that does the most for the world is the church that is least like the world. Let that sink in for a minute. If we really want to do something for our world, we've got to be the least like the world. That's why we've got to have certain standards that we've got to try to uphold in the house of God. And there's certain things that we've got to try to live by in certain ways, certain things that we can and we can't do. You know why? We've got to be different. Look, we don't base our spirituality off of that. We're just supposed to be different because God said we're just supposed to be different. He's holy and we are to be a holy people. The problem was, the reason they wanted a king was this. They wanted to be like all the other nations around them. And I'm telling you, a church is heading for trouble when it desires to be like the world around it. I've said this before, but I want to say it again. God never intended for his church to be a thermometer registering the temperature around it. God intends for his church to be a thermostat regulating the temperature around it. Amen. This world is not supposed to be influencing the church. We shouldn't be dressing according to the dictates of the world. We shouldn't be living according to the dictates of the world. We shouldn't allow the world to dictate to us our standards of music or our standards of language or, or, or what we do or don't do. Ladies and gentlemen, we're supposed to be influencing the world, not the world influencing God's people. But how many of us are influenced by the things of the world? A king is... Am I in the Bible? I mean, this, this is black letters on white pages inspired by God. Amen. So a king is requested. But now I want you to join me now in verse number 6. So we got this. We got a, a, a problems repeated, a king's, a, a king's re requested. But I want you to see this. God is rejected. Now look what happens in verse 6. But the thing... Here they come. Samuel, you're getting old. Samuel, we need a new pastor here. And I know it was your intention. I know, I know, Samuel, it was your intention for your boys to be the pastor. But I just want to tell you, Samuel, them boys ain't like you. And we don't want them boys to be our pastor. Samuel, we, we want us to a pastor. We want our church to be like other churches. Boy, don't that sound familiar? 
Could I say one more time? Any church is one pastor away from apostasy. Any church, one pastor. You got to be careful. Got to be careful. Well, verse 6. The Bible said this, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. I can just imagine, you know, I imagine old Samuel kind of got his feelings hurt a little bit. First of all, nobody likes to be told they're getting too old, can't do it no more. I think when people say, uh, when my wife tells me, You're, you don't need to be doing that, climbing that 20-foot ladder, swinging off that tree limb like Tarzan, beating on your chest, hollering for the animals to come, you can't do that anymore. And I'm going to do that if it kills me. She says, you're getting too old to do that. Say, Shut up. I'm going to do it anyway. And, and so here they, and you're getting old, Samuel. Give us a king to judge us. I can imagine old Samuel's feelings has hurt a little bit. You know why? Samuel has given his life for these people. I mean, he started with just a little boy working in the... Remember the story? As a little boy working in the house of God under Eli. And every morning, Samuel's job was to get up, open up the doors, and at evening, he closed the doors of the house of God. Samuel had prayed for these people. Samuel had led these people into battles. Samuel had sacrificed for these people. Now, all of a sudden, they come to him and say, no, you're, you're not good enough anymore. We want somebody else to rule and lead our nation. And by the, verse 6 says, it displeased Samuel. I think he, I mean, let's just face it. I know we're supposed to die to self and not get hurt feelings. I get all that. But I think his feelings was hurt just a little bit. He'd given his life to these people. I mean, for all these years, he had, he had been there for them. He'd listened to them. He'd prayed for them. He'd stood by them. He'd begged God for them. And now, all of a sudden, you ain't the man no more, Samuel. We need a new preacher at our church. We want somebody different here. But I like what he does. Look at verse 6. He gathers up all that hurt and all that disappointment, and he takes it to the Lord. Can I ask you something? Where do you go when you get hurt? Well, getting hurt's part of life, isn't it? Nobody likes to get hurt. Nobody does. But the truth of the matter is, hey, hang around long enough, everybody gets hurt, don't they? Uh, you know, I wish church was a no-hurt zone. I wish we, uh, when we walked in here and got in this place, nobody hurt anybody else. But let's just face it, sometimes even inside a church, folks get hurt, folks get their feelings hurt, things happen. <coughs> and, and here's Samuel. The Bible said he, he's displeased by what they said, but I like what he does. The Bible said that he prays unto the Lord. <clears throat> and when he starts praying, if you look down at verse 7, God answers his prayer. God reveals something to Samuel that Samuel needs to know, and that's this. Samuel, these folks aren't rejecting you. Samuel, these folks are rejecting me. Look at verse 7. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee, for they've not rejected thee, but they've rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Samuel, God said, Samuel, this ain't about you, son. This is about me. It, it, don't, don't get your feelings hurt, man. Don't, don't, don't quit. Don't, don't pack up your bags and rent a U-Haul and move off to another church. Hey, it ain't you that they don't want. Samuel, it's me that they don't want. You know, I got to thinking about that. You know, ever, ever since the days of Joshua and Moses and those judges, they were all leaders in Israel, but they were not the leaders of Israel. There's a difference between being a leader in Israel and being the leader of Israel. You see, God 
was their leader. God was the leader. God just had a, had a representative down below to provide direction for his people. So God spoke to that person, and that person gave direction to the people of God. By the way, it kind of sounds like the church, doesn't it? God, listen, the pastor is not the head of the church. He's the head in the church. God's the head of the church. God has a man appointed to stand there and provide spiritual direction as he prays and seeks the will of God for that church. But hey, let's just face it, man. God's the one who heads the church. Uh, judges may have been leaders in Israel, but God was the leader of Israel. I like how Gideon put it. When they came to Gideon, they said, Hey, Gideon, man, you, you led us in that great battle against the Midianites. We've whooped the fire out of them. Man, you are the man. We want you to be the leader of Israel. Here's what he said to them. Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son and thy son's son, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. But I love his answer. Look what he said. Gideon said unto them, I'll not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Hey, listen, friend. God may have leaders in a nation. God may have leaders in a church. But God is the leader of the church and of the nation. God was their leader. I know he had a Samuel there. I know Samuel was God's man, but God was the one doing all the leading. He was the pillar of fire that led them by night. He was the cloud, the Shekinah cloud that covered them in the heat of day. He was the ark that went before them. God was the captain of the Lord's host. He was the one who thundered so loud. And I'm going to impress you with a new word I've learned. He was the one who thundered so loud that it discombobulated I can tell y'all are impressed that he discombobulated the Philistines. God did all that. You know why? He was their leader. And when they come to Samuel and said, hey, Samuel, make us a king. God said, Samuel, don't worry about it, son. They're not rejecting you. Samuel, they are rejecting me. And by the way, if you look at verse 8, God said they've had a history of this. They've had a history of rejecting me according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they do they also unto thee. God said, don't worry about it. It's been going on since the start of time, since the beginning of this nation. They've set me aside. Samuel, it's not about you. It is about me. And I want you to look at this. This is something that caught my eye here a little bit later. When they say, here's what we want. Look at verse number, uh, help me, y'all help me find this here. And it's in this verse, and they say, we want a king to lead us into battle. Where's that at? It's in this chapter somewhere. They say it in any Yeah, look at verse 20. That, they, uh, that we also may be like all the nations. There it is again. We want to be like everybody else around here. And then they say this, and, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Now, hold on a minute. Who is it that fights the battles for Israel? It's God. You mean to tell me y'all want to... By the way, let me read these verses, and I'll show it to you. Look at this verse, Deuteronomy. When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies and seest horses and chariots and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with thee. 
which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Look at this in the next verse. He says this, For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you. He uh, to fight for you against your enemies to say, Hey, listen, it ain't a king that fights for you. God was fighting. You mean to tell me you want a king? Set aside the God that's fought for you and helped you to be there. By the way, when God fought for them, nobody could whoop them. And when God fought against them, they couldn't whoop anybody. And they were to set aside God for a mere mortar man? Are you kidding me? Thank God. Listen, listen to me. Thank God for Donald Trump. The one thing I... T and by the way, I didn't appreciate the cuss words last night. I heard them just like y'all. But can I tell you something? The one thing he said two or three times in that speech last night was he was talking about the nation of Israel. I like it when we got a president who will back the nation of Israel. He ain't stinking inviting the Muslims over to the White House for Ramadan. Amen. I got a man in the office right now that I don't know whether he's saved or not. He needs to, if he ain't saved, he needs to quit cussing. Amen. Among other things, probably. But, hey, he's got the back of the nation of Israel. And if he's got their back, I've got his back right now. Amen. He ain't, he ain't, we ain't voting on him for pastor. If we was voting on him for pastor, I wouldn't vote for him. But we're voting on him for president. And if he backs them, I'm going to back him. But can I tell you this? The hope of America is not in Donald Trump. The hope of America is in the God that has made us what we are today. It's him that fights our battles. And ladies and gentlemen, it's him that's hedged us in. And when he drops that hedge, I don't tell you how, no matter how big our military is, when he drops the hedge, the boars are going to enter into the forest and start plucking from the vine. And ladies and gentlemen, we're seeing that happen in America tonight. Don't, hey, listen, we need God. We don't need a man. We need God back in America. Can I have an amen? So God said, verse 9, I'm done. Go on and grant the request. Stinking, and this is in the Hebrew, stinking people. Go on and grant their request. Go ahead and do it. But he said, protest solemnly, verse 9 unto them. Show them the manner of the, of the king that shall reign over them. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that ask of him a king. And then he just starts in verse 10. He says, okay, here's what it's going to cost you to have a king. And he starts going down through verse number 10. He says this, he's going to take your sons. He's going to make them join the armies. He's going to take your chariots. He's going to take your horsemen. Verse 12, he's going to take your servants and your daughters. Verse 13, are going to be his cooks. He's going to take away your fields. Verse 14, verse 15, he's going to start taxing you. Sound familiar? He's going to start taxing you. He's going to take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards to give to his off. He, in other words, what he's saying, listen, fellas, I just want to tell you, you're running ahead of God. You're getting out of the will of God. And any time you get out of the will of God, there's a price to pay. There is a price to pay. Verse 18 is a really scary verse. It says this, You shall cry out in the day because of your king which you have chosen you, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Isn't that a sight? They've set God aside for man. And any time a nation, a church, a people set God aside in, in, the, in, in, the, in the place of some man, I'm just going to tell you, the end result is going to be disastrous. Don't you think these people, 
I mean, when Saul, and boy, Saul had some crazy situations. He, he became demented and evil spirits came upon him and he was throwing javelins and, and a foeman. I mean, can you just imagine those people said, man, I would to God we'd have never voted him in. Amen. You better be careful. Amen and amen and amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for this text.